It is so good to be here together. I do not take this for granted at all. I feel like every week where we have a Nicola announcement, I'm a little bit on the edge of my seat wondering, okay, how is my life going to change this week? Am I going to have to cancel any plans this week? Am I going to have to reinstall the house party app this week? I'm delighted that we can be here tonight. I love that we can be together. A couple of announcements ago, we were told that we could no longer invite people into our homes, and I impulsively bought a fire pit. Now, on the scale of fire pits that you can buy, I bought, like, Amazon's basic fire pit. It's literally just like a big walk for your garden. Um, but it's good because it's transportable and it's fun. And I love fire. I love everything about fire. I love making fires in acceptable contexts. I love sitting by fires. I love the sorts of conversations you have with people around fires. I love fires. And I knew that in Glasgow, coming into winter, if we're not allowed to go indoors, we're going to have to make fire. So I bought a fire pit. I don't regret it. Of all the COVID purchases that I have made, this is probably one that I regret the least. For a few years, I taught a skill at summer camp called fire and food, which combined two of my greatest loves. And in fire and food, we would teach Canadian children how to make different types of fires, how to cook different food over fire, how to show the proper amount of disdain for anyone who sets their marshmallow on fire and says that they like it that way, because no one really likes it that way. Now, teaching fire and food over a few summers made me, if anything, probably a 2 out of 10 on the Canadian fire expert scale, but I'm hoping it made me like a solid 8 in Scotland. So when I bought the fire pit, I was like, okay, finally, this is my chance. I can become like the girl in the friendship group who has a fire pit. You know, I can be like the fire girl who's like, who talks about uh, Tinder and the good one and kindling and like, you know, um, isn't scared to get right up to the fire to like fan the flames. It's what I'm hoping uh, that we'll do tonight, because any other uh, fire experts or wannabe fire experts out there will know that building a fire is one thing, starting a fire is one thing, but keeping it burning actually does require a bit of work. You've got to have the right amount of air, but not too much. You've got to have more fuel to put on the fire. You've got to tend to it. You've got to work for it a little bit to keep it burning. I'm hoping that we will have uh, the Holy Spirit fan some fires in us into flame tonight, because last week when we had our celebration Sunday service at 11 a.m., if you tuned into that, uh, it was epic, by the way. Speaking of fire, the chat, the online chat was on fire. It was unstoppable. It couldn't be tamed. It was so good. It was like a party on there. But it was fun. And part of that service, our, our senior pastor, Brian, delivered this bold call for us to charge. And just in case you missed it, he talked about how coming out of the autumn feast season, we're, we're entering into like a spiritual new year. That's kind of where we are in the calendar. And we were acknowledging that in so many ways this year has been so hard, but we were telling stories of how God has been at work because we are seeing him at work right now. And he said that our word for this moment, for us individually and for us as a church family, is charge. And he asked us to consider, okay, what does it look like for me? As I live through this great opportunity moment where things seem actually ripe for renewal and revival because everything is being shaken and we have a message of hope and we can live with peace even in the midst of things being so difficult, what does it look like for me to charge? I, with that, I, I hope, I think God lit some little fires under us in that moment when we started to consider, okay, God, what does it look like for me to charge in my life, in my circumstances, where you have placed me. Because I want him to 
fan these little fires in us into flame so that, so that we don't fizzle out. I don't want to be like a box of matches where every week I come and I hear a sermon and maybe God speaks to me and there's a match struck or I hear God speak to me through his word or, or I get a kind of Holy Spirit nudge when I'm walking down the street one day and there's these matches struck but then they go out and all too soon I'm just like an empty box and there's no fire. I want God to fan a fire in me that's big enough to propel me somewhere. I think of a hot air balloon. I have no idea how they work, but I know that I see fire and it is big and then the thing goes up. I just want to pray right now that the Holy Spirit will do that work in us and continue that work in us. Holy Spirit, just as we come to you tonight, as we gather together online and in the room, would you do that? Would you breathe life onto those fires? Would you light a fire in us? Wake us up, revive our hearts. God, whatever you want to do in us, would you make us ready? Amen. There's a verse posted on the door of my bedroom, which Ruth Weller gave me a few years back. And I didn't post it on the door of my bedroom because I'm super holy and I put scripture all over my home, although that's really, really great and I probably should do more of that. I put it on the door of my bedroom because I was starstruck by Ruth Weller at that time. And it's stayed there ever since. And I'm really glad it has because it's, it's become like core scripture for me. And as I walk past it often, it reminds me to keep going. But just this last week, as I looked at it again, I was like, this, this is a call to charge for me. The verse on the door says, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. It's from Philippians chapter three, and that's where I want to plant us today as we think about what it looks like for us to charge We're just going to read from verse 7 onwards, the context being that Paul's exhortation is to rejoice in the Lord and to transfer all hope, all confidence from anything of this world, anything that we might use to define ourselves, anything that we might place confidence in, to transfer all of that over to Jesus. If today maybe you find that any or every reason you once had to feel hopeful or to feel confident in terms of our world, has been shaken or undermined. You're not alone in that. Maybe for you, it's this is who I was and I'm not anymore, or this is what I did and I don't do that anymore, or this is the job I thought would fulfill me and it doesn't, or this is what has been spoken over my life and it hasn't happened yet, or this is what I've been praying for for years and I don't see it coming. Here I am, holding all of my hopes and my dreams and my cares and my fears. How am I meant to charge? Well, Paul says he had every reason to be confident. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but from that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. I love Paul's writing because he is the first to put his hand up and say, I'm not there yet. Here is this glorious vision (laughs) 
here's where we're going, here's where he's running for, but he says, I'm not there yet, but that's where I want to go. And there's a few things in this passage I just want to pull out for us today. The first thing being that for us to charge, it's going to require us to have a different perspective. It's going to require us to change our minds, to challenge how we see things Paul writes, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. These things I once viewed as reasons for confidence, things I used to put my hope in, I now consider loss. The New Living Translation puts it this way. It says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. I once thought, but now, or I used to consider these things this, but now I see them as this. Paul knows that he can't fully trust in Jesus while also putting little bits of his trust in X, Y, and Z. He knows that confidence in them is less confidence in Jesus, and actually hope spread out is hope diluted. I read Mark Batterson's book this last week called All In, and he writes that we can't trust God 99% and say our trust is in him because trust is a 100% proposition. And I wonder, do I need to embrace a change of perspective? Do I need to stop clinging, re- release my, my, my grasp on other things that I put little bits of my confidence in? Because as long as I do that, I live in this loop of being perpetually disappointed. And maybe I've reached a point in my life where most of my hope is in Jesus, where I've sort of been, you know, transferring little bits, little bits every so often over to him, and most of my hope is in him. So maybe the the disappointments, the everyday disappointments don't sting as much or sting as often, but I don't want to settle for just sort of riding the waves of disappointment with everyone else when there is somewhere completely secure that I can put all of my trust. As you prepare to charge, as I prepare to charge, we have a chance to take a look at everything we value, everything maybe once we have highly valued, probably some incredibly good things, but to consider, okay, do I need to change how I see these things at all? Do we need to take a moment to acknowledge, to choose to say, okay, I once thought this was essential. I now know that it is not essential. Or I once thought this defined who I am or who I was going to be. I now know that it doesn't define who I am or who I'm going to be. Or I once thought I couldn't live without this. I now know that I can and I must In Psalm 25, the psalmist writes, no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. I'm tired of feeling disappointment. And I want to choose to say this year, I want this year to be the year that I draw the line in the sand and I say, okay, God, take all of my hope, all of my trust, all of my expectation, because actually you're a safe place to put it. Second thing from this is that charging will require our eyes to be fixed on the prize. If anyone's playing Laura Sermon Bingo, I've already mentioned summer camp, but I'm going to mention it again. At Echo Lake Bible Camp, the program director would honk a horn to signal the end of one activity and the beginning of another. And when they do this, the campers would congregate from everywhere that they are around the camp and get ready for the next thing. And usually, pretty chill, like pretty low-key, not a mega fuss, except for when it was time for chapel. Because when it was time for chapel, there was a race to get there first with your whole cabin, including your cabin leaders, and do the king's crown or the queen's wave. Who knows why? Just because it's camp and it makes things fun. So teen campers were by far the most competitive campers you would ever meet. And at teen camp, when the horn would honk for chapel, there would be a stampede, never mind a charge. And anyone or anything that was in the way would be taken out. They would have spies posted at the toilets about 25 minutes early just to watch for the program director's movements. The nurse would be out, ready to be a first responder. If you honked the horn, you would have to fling wide open the gates and get out of the way because they were coming. 
But in comparison, rookie camp, rookie campers, typically three to five years old, you would honk the horn for chapel, and you would move out onto the deck and watch out over the cabins, and you would count to 60 before you would even see a door open. And then you would see someone come out, maybe with a couple of their campers, and they would take about five minutes just putting their shoes on. And then they'd go back in, and then they'd come back out, and then they'd go back in, and then they'd come back out, and then they'd be shepherded down the steps, and you'd think, okay, this is it, they're coming, they're coming, they're finally coming. And then you would see them led towards the toilets, not to charge from the toilets, just to use the toilets because they're four years old. And then, half an hour later, they would eventually arrive for chapel, and you'd think, okay, finally, we can keep going with our day. No rush, no urgency, definitely no charging. And why? Because they had no competition. They had no prize. For rookies, there was no leaderboard. There was no prize at the end of the week. There was no competition. Rookie campers didn't charge. But teen campers were the most ready to charge because they had the highest view of the prize. Whether they wanted to win because it was their last ever week at camp or whether they wanted to win because they just needed to beat that boy's cabin or whatever their reasons were, they had the highest view of the prize and so they were ready to charge when the time came. The invitation for us to charge is not an invitation to run blindly in any direction, but it's to charge after Jesus towards the prize. Paul writes, one is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. The sort of charging we want to be about is not general franticness or flailing out of like anxiety or fear or panic or workaholism or sense of duty, but it's a bold, peace-filled following Paul writes of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. For whose sake is a repetition of what he said before when he said, whatever were gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. We want to charge because there's something of greater value worth charging to. The New Living Translation calls it the infinite value of knowing Jesus. I want to run after something of infinite value. I was thinking about the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment this week. If you're familiar with it, you'll probably recognize this wee kid who had a real struggle resisting the marshmallow. The scientists would give the child a marshmallow and say, okay, you can eat this one marshmallow now, or if you wait for me to come back, you'll get two. And the child didn't know when the scientist was going to return, but they knew that if they could wait, they would get two marshmallows. It was all about delayed gratification. I sometimes think I live life with Jesus a little bit as if I'm in like a big version of the marshmallow experiment. Like if I can just wait and resist long enough, then whenever Jesus shows up, he will give me a bigger and better version of that that I'm waiting for. I remember one particular time when um, I was at a total crossroads moment in my life and I needed to say no to something because I knew it was not what God had for me. And I remember for, for years after, I, I didn't even really put my finger on it, and yet I believed the lie that what God owed me for that no was a bigger and better version of what I'd said no to. When in reality, he had so much more for me than that. He doesn't owe me a better version of what I said no to. And actually, that's not the limit of what he had for me. Because when you let go of things you need to let go of to go after him, you get him. You get to know him. I didn't even know at that time what an obstacle that was to knowing Jesus until it was taken out. I didn't know what stood on the other side of that crossroads until I'd passed through it. I thought I was going to get a second marshmallow but there was so much more. And it was simply impossible for me in that time to know Jesus rightly while my love was so wrongly directed. God had so much more to give. When it comes to why we are charging, 
where we're charging, who we are charging after. Jesus doesn't shortchange us. He doesn't even just equally exchange us. What he offers us far surpasses the thing that charging might cost us. We get eternal life. We get to know God. In John 17, it says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We get eternal life. We get to know God from now, and we get full life. John 10, 10 says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. It doesn't say, I've come that they, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, except for in 2020 and maybe 2021, which they'll just have to endure. Eternal life Full life, knowing God in him, has not been taken off the table for us this year. And actually, maybe it's more accessible to us than ever before because so much else has been taken away. Things that steal our hope, things that steal our love, things that are good, but they should be in second place. If those are shaken, if those are taken away, maybe this eternal life, this knowing God is is more accessible to us. So let's go after the real prize. When I went home in July, I was desperate to see my grandmother, and I was also desperate, as you can imagine, to not cause her any harm. So my mother, being my mother, concocted a plan as only she could, and when I got off the plane in Northern Ireland and we went to Antrim, before I, my nanny knew that I was there, I changed out of like the outer layer of clothes that I'd been in on the plane, and I put on this outfit instead. Now this morning, there was a whole debate, not a stormtrooper, apparently a clone trooper costume. Um, Alistair Bennett actually had an infographic, which I'm quite sad that we don't have on the slides tonight because it clearly explains the difference between each type. If anyone cares, if anyone is a Star Wars nerd, I won't mistype it again. So I put on that costume so that I could see my grandmother safely, only in 2020, right? One for the family archives. All that to say, if we are going to charge, we will need to take off some things and we will need to put on the right light armor. We're going to have to take off all the world's stuff that it would want to put on us in this moment, and we're going to have to pick up our slingshot. You only have to open a news app for five minutes or scroll on your social media for a moment to see a little bit of what the world wants to put on you right now, what it wants to put on me. It wants to put fear on us, fear of the unknown, fear of the virus, fear of catching the virus, fear of each other, fear of the future. It wants to put selfishness on us. Look out for yourself. Look out for yourself. Look after yourself at whatever cost. It wants to put intolerance on us, keep an eye on everyone, criticize everyone, gossip about who's doing what or not doing what or how we could do it better. It wants to put hopelessness on us. This is it. This is just how it's going to be. It's only going to get worse. Nothing good's going to come out of this. And part of us, the part of us that is is bent towards self-preservation might think, okay, maybe it's better if I just pick up a little bit of all of this stuff because actually it just helps me to be realistic Maybe it'll stop me feeling so disappointed if I just kind of carry a bit of this with me because you know what, maybe it's true. But scripture tells us that we have the mind of Christ, (laughs) that we're the salt of the earth. If we have the mind of Christ and he was anointed with the oil of joy, what does that mean for us? Reese Howells of the book Intercessor, total legend, uh, said there's nothing to be compared with having to be delivered to keep you abiding. You will never do it without We know we need God's rescue right now. What if this is our moment? What if this is our chance to say, okay, I'm going to put you on, Jesus. I'm going to abide in you. Paul talks about being found in Christ. And I know right now I might want to wear the world like a weighted blanket and sit still, but in reality I need to take that 
off and I need to step into Jesus. I need to abide in him. I need to be found in him if I'm going to charge. Paul goes on to say, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal. It's been a hard year. Maybe you've had a hard life. But at this point, maybe there's a moment right now to draw a line in the sand and think, okay, if you're carrying heavy stuff, if you're carrying past burdens, if you're carrying hurt, if you're carrying people wounds that have got infected, if you're carrying disappointments, if you're carrying unforgiveness, if you're carrying anything that is weighing heavy on you, is there a chance, is there a way right now to, to do what you need to do, to hand those things over again, to, to forgive if you need to forgive, so that you can run lightly, so that you can be released, so that you can be, uh, not be burdened by those things anymore? unnecessarily. Paul goes on to talk about how people who don't know Jesus, their mind is set on earthly things. In comparison, he's, he's trying to direct people to have their minds set on their citizenship in heaven, to run towards that. And charging in that way has to be all in. It, requ- it will require us day after day to die to ourselves, maybe moment after moment to die to ourselves in order to be raised to new life. Paul says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. That is what he's running after. That is what he says he wants. Another Mark Batterson quote, he said, faithfulness is not holding the fort, it's storming the gates of hell. Charging in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our unanswered prayers, in the midst of our pain and our hurt this year, will say to the world, we are not victims of our circumstance. Our story is bigger than that. Our identity is bigger than that. We have eternal hope. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus has been victorious over sin and death and Satan and his kingdom is coming and we are on the offensive, not the defensive. Jesus is taking the devil's territory. He's not having his taken. And the discomfort of this moment could propel us to join the charge or it could take us out of the game. Paul says he hasn't made it yet, but he says he is straining towards what is ahead. He is pressing on. I recently watched the documentary Free Solo on Disney Plus about Alex Honnold. Now, he climbs these huge rock faces without a rope. That is what it is to free solo a wall, apparently. If you read the book by the same name, he goes into detail about his uh, journey towards climbing El Capitan in Yosemite without a rope. And he describes all about these, the different pitches of climbing and, and different levels of difficulty of different pitches of, of the wall. And in the climbing world, apparently a 5.0 is easy, supposedly, and then up to a 5.13 to 5.15, very, very, very difficult. And on a wall like Yosemite, Alex had to start at the bottom and he had to climb for hours with no rope through pitches that were maybe a 5.0 right up to the most difficult. And on the most difficult, he would have learned exactly, okay, where do I need to put my foot? Where do I need to put my hand? How do I do this? If our lives are like rock faces at different points, even at different points of this year, we are all going to be at different pitches at different times, different levels of difficulty. Maybe right now you're you're, you're on the most difficult rock face you've ever felt. Or maybe right now you're like, this is fine. This is actually okay. This is manageable for me. The thing is that everyone is climbing. Everyone is climbing, but so many people are trying to climb without a rope. And we have a rope. As we continue to climb, if we lose grip, if we stumble, if something stings us and we take our hand away, if we fall, we're held. We're not going to fall. We're held. We're climbing with a rope. And so with that in mind, 
if we consider in that context, okay, what does it look like for me to charge today? As a church, it looks like lots of things for us to charge. It looks like us putting in another service on a Sunday to make space for however many people we can make space for here. For our 11 Remain interns, it looks like doing something like Remain where they're going to be learning over Zoom and they're going to be serving in this style of church, not some future day of like normal church when that returns, but now. For a group in our church, it means planning a series around racial injustice and reconciliation because we need to have those discussions. For me, it looks like lots of things. I know it looks like continuing to detangle myself from earthly hopes and disappointments. It looks like not letting myself get sloppy on my time with Jesus so my eyes are fixed on the prize. It looks like refusing to let myself live with a victim mentality because that's where I swing to. There are specific things too, as I've thought about this this last week, I've been reminded about a whole, whole group of my friends, people that I know and love who don't know Jesus, who I used to do stuff with, I used to be part of a choir with, but right now that's not happening, so I don't see them. And just that reminder that, okay, for me to charge right now means that I need to fight for those friendships. I can't be content to stay here. I need to fight for those friendships. I don't know what it looks like for you. It might look like one big thing. It might look like lots of little things, but I trust that God will speak and will reveal what it looks like to you. Maybe you're sitting there and, or you're sitting at home and you're thinking, this is all very well, but I'm just not the charging type. Or I'm wounded or I'm hurt or I have had my doubts or I've not been a Christian very long or for whatever reason you might think, okay, charging is for someone else. Just wanna show you chance. So Chance is the alpaca. I found out a couple of weeks ago that alpacas can run faster than zebras, hyenas, elk, and white tigers. So I, I, I think to myself, Laura, if an alpaca can run at 35 miles per hour, no matter how I feel right now in October of 2020, I can charge. I can charge. No matter what your story is, you can charge with us. The challenge is simple. It's probably exactly the same as what Brian challenged us last week, except I can't remember his exact words, but it's to ask Jesus this week, what does it look like for me to charge? Maybe you've already asked him, but sit with that. Write that down on your notes app or in your journal. What does charging look like for me? What comes to mind? And just write that down. Consider it and then discuss it with your Bible read-through and or with a trusted friend or mentor. Don't keep it a secret, but get yourself some accountability. Bring someone else into that discussion. If you're brought into that for someone else, hold them accountable, help them, spur them on, then go for it. 